I am in part seven on the life of Paul. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the problems and obstacles in the path of ministry, in the path of the missionary, but really for us in the path of ministry. Uh, and it's not an easy way when you start to serve God. It's not easy when you say, I, I want to be used by God. You're going to face obstacles and problems and suffering and persecution. There's no bed of roses. You look at the first 12 guys, uh, excluding Judas, all 11 really were put to death. All 11. So what does it mean? All right? There's no uh, bed of roses. It means that when we serve God, we sip from the cup of suffering of Christ we recognize what he did for us on the cross, and so to some extent, we will also participate in that because God is creating us and molding us and fashioning us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. So what have we seen in the life of Paul so far? We've seen that he's been on the shelf for years. Finally, he's called uh, into the field to be used by Barnabas. They have a spectacular uh, ministry together. Uh, and they create many new churches. Uh, and then, just as you would expect, as human beings are, uh, happen in their lives, he and, and Barnabas have a dispute of such a significance that they break up. They will never serve the Lord together, but they will each individually go out and serve God, and God will multiply the ministry. Multiply the ministry. Uh, and, we, and we talked about that. And so now, uh, Paul has taken uh, a new associate, it's Silas, uh, and we're going to talk about that relationship and what happens there. Uh, and so he, he continued to walk in faith, you see? He continued to walk in faith uh, with courage, even as it was difficult, even as it was hard, even as he broke up uh, with Barnabas. And so we're going to focus here in this sermon on the second missionary journey. And it begins in Antioch as he's recovering from the breakup with uh, uh, Barnabas. He's recovering. Uh, and he, I'm certain he, he was certainly disappointed over that breakup. It had to hurt him uh, as he severed that tie. Silas goes off, uh, and he goes in one direction, and now Barnabas will take on a new partner. Uh, and, and as he takes on this new partner, he will now uh, begin to go back to the churches that he founded. Uh, and so he had recently completed the Jerusalem Conference, the Jerusalem conference was significant because when he and Barnabas went to Jerusalem, they had to address a serious issue that would affect them as they went forward. And that serious issue is if you become converted, if you accept Jesus Christ, in order to be converted, did you first have to become a Jew? Because you see, the Jerusalem group believed that you had to be a Jew, that you couldn't just be a Christian, you had to be a Jew first, and then from Judaism you could become a Christian. Well, uh, Paul and Silas opposed that, uh, and, and uh, as a result of that, uh, they, they eliminated circumcision as a right that needed to take place uh, in order to be saved. And the conclusion was, no, you didn't have to be a Jew. Once you accepted Christ, you were fully within the hand of God uh, as a Christian. This became important now as Paul is going to go out and impact the Gentile world. Um, and so he's going back and strengthening the churches that he had started with. And he's traveling the familiar Roman road. Isn't it interesting, folks, the irony that the Romans, who would oppose Christianity so much, uh, so much, until Constantine would accept Christianity about the year 300 AD, 
but that the roads that they built would be the very mechanisms that Paul would use to advance the gospel. Their roads. Thank you very much. Right? Uh, and, and you realize that how God uses these things, even from pagans, to advance the kingdom of God. And so with him in this party is Timothy, all right? Timothy was a zealous disciple, and we know Luke is traveling with him, Dr. Luke, who will write everything that takes place. And so uh, this party will begin to travel uh, on the Roman road as it will begin to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they relied on the will of God in everything they did. I can't emphasize this to you enough, relying on the will of God. They never went to any place unless, unless they felt compelled to by God. And when they were compelled not to go, they obeyed that. You understand? When they were compelled not to go, they, they obeyed that. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 8. It will be on the board. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Notice that, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, Spirit from going into Asia. They were prohibited from going into Asia. Why? Because God had a divine appointment for them where they were intended to go, and it was not in Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to go. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. They see they prayed for open doors and recognized when they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. This is a recognition that you all need to have, that God closes doors. You understand? God closes doors. Just because you think you ought to go someplace doesn't mean you should go someplace, all right? Or, or speak to someone doesn't mean you should speak to someone because God prepares the way for us. Everything we do has to be a leading by God through the Holy Spirit. And that's what this church is founded on, on that very reason. And everything we did, look, it took us three years to find a building because we relied on God. Even as we tried stupidly, and I'll be responsible for that, to sign contracts where, where obviously God didn't intend, even though we prayed about it, uh, and God closed the door. And so even as the doors were closed, we were a little upset about it. But I told you last week that one of the buildings that we submitted an offer on uh, that was turned down and I couldn't understand it, uh, that building was flooded. Can you imagine had we spent all that time and money and energy to renovate a building and then it was flooded? But through the grace of God, our church is bone dry. In fact, I heard a story that, that tells you how the hand of God operates. You know, we need a new roof in our church, and we will get it in two weeks. But there's a few holes in, this church, in the roof, and when it rains, they have to put buckets out. Well, they knew the hurricane was coming, so they put all these buckets out. Not one drop of water came in from the hurricane. Not one drop of water. Now, you tell me, all right? Is there a God? Please. Are you kidding me? And so just as we recognize open doors and the leading of the Holy Spirit in terms of open doors, we have to recognize that there are closed doors also in our life. And if you go against God, if you go where you're not intended to be, there will never be good results. Remember this. 
You're not going to produce good results because you think you can knock open a door. No, you cannot. We're in the God business. Let's understand that. And whatever we do has to be partnered with by God. And so once they came to Troas, uh, something very remarkable happened because in Troas, uh, Paul had a vision. He had a vision. And in this case, the vision appeared to Paul at night. Uh, and it was a vision in the form of a man that asked Paul to come to Macedonia, come to Macedonia uh, and preach. And so Paul, always obeying the Spirit of God, uh, sees this vision and recognizes that he can't waste any time. Immediately, he goes to Macedonia to, to accept God's directive. And there he will meet a prominent woman named Lydia. Lydia. An incredible business person. Lydia will become the first woman Gentile convert in the European world. Lydia. And it, it will again underscore the importance of women in Christianity. You see, women were not important in Judaism. They barely had any rights whatsoever. But in Jesus, and you see that underscored when he met the Samaritan woman at the well, he breaks every Judaic rule about women. And he elevates women to equality. Yes, ladies, you have full equality in Jesus Christ in every possible way. And Lydia will open her house as a church, as a church. Uh, and, and she will do this. And the amazing thing about Lydia is that there was no synagogue in that city. There was no place for them to go and preach the gospel. Well, now they preach it at her house. Uh, and so here is this wealthy woman, wealthy businesswoman, who recognizes when she came to faith that everything that she had, everything that she was given, was given to her by Jesus. Oh, what a, what a great picture that is. What a great picture that is when someone recognizes that what they have has been given to them by God, not their own brain power. I pray that every one of you come to that recollection and understanding. And so look at Acts 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And she then says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded upon us. There you see the evidence of conversion. Stay in my house. Come with us. My house is your house. My house is going to be used by God. That you see the evidence of conversion. So Lydia and her entire household would become Christians. An amazing story. And she was smart and wealthy. And she would become a key disciple. A key disciple, she was quick to perceive that whatever she had accumulated was not as a result of her own efforts, but because God had prepared for her to be a leader in that community. He had prepared for her to have her house be a church. And so she became effectively the first Gentile convert in Europe. Amazing story. All because Paul obeyed the Holy Spirit. Don't go here 
go there. You see what happens when you obey the Holy Spirit. And so this household revival must have been extraordinary. Uh, the Lord opened the heart uh, of a prominent woman, paving the way in the church to, be, to have that church to be there in Philippi. It was all part of God's leading and Paul's obedience. And this is what I want to emphasize to you about being prepared to obey the will of the Lord. And I want to tell you his personal story. And the personal story relates really to the verse of Peter that says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. I was in Chicago this week with my wife. We're on an elevator in a hotel. Uh, and Linda speaks to the other a couple on the, on the elevator uh, and says to the couple, uh, hi, where are you from? We're from Florida. Oh, we're from Florida. Where in Florida? Naples. <laughs> Naples? Yes, Naples. Oh, my God. Were you affected by the hurricane? Yes, we were on Gulf Shore Drive. Yes, we actually stayed there in our condominium. We saw the water rush in. The buildings around us were destroyed. Uh, yes, we were. Uh, and he says, let me step off the elevator onto this floor. I just want to talk to you. You're very interesting people. And so he, he says uh, uh, to Linda, well, wh where, where do you live? And Linda said, well, we, well, we live in Port Royal. Really? He says, well, he says to me, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. Well, he said, wow, that must be some church. <laughs> And Linda goes, no, no, he doesn't get a dollar serving his pastor. Uh, he doesn't do it. No, he doesn't. He says, well, what did you do before? Well, I was a lawyer. Really? Now he wanted to know everything about how I came from being a lawyer to being a pastor. He said, is your, is your uh, room on this floor? Can we go there? We want to talk to you. Because we've been looking for a church in Naples for years. We've been looking for a church in Naples for years, and we can't find it. So they come into our room, and they spend a half hour grilling me on theology. <laughs> These were people that were deep in theology, wanted to know where, where my feeling was on theology, and asked me a number of questions. And one of the things he asked me, he says, well, I'm familiar with Tim Keller. He says, you know, Tim Keller's deep in grace. It's all about grace. Do you believe in grace? Yes, I believe in grace. Yes, I believe in grace. But remember, yes, Along with grace is the judgment of God. You understand? Yes, there is grace. Yes, David had grace. Yes, Abraham had grace. Understand this? But yes, there is the judgment of God. God judges us. Uh, and so he, they said at the end when they went to get up to leave, uh, I said, do you mind if I pray for you? Now imagine, this is, these are people we never met before, just on an elevator. Uh, I prayed for them, and they told me that they would find our way to this church, and that they knew a lot of other people that were looking for a church. Uh, and so that's why I say to you, just like Paul found Lydia down by the river, when your mind is open to serve the Holy Spirit, and you wait for the door to be opened, you step forward. Amen, church? This is how I want you to act. This is a true story. It's a true story. I want you to understand this. This is how I live my life, always waiting for that opportunity to serve him, to do what he wants. And so next up for Paul and Silas, next up for them, is they come across a demonized slave girl who persisted in taunting them. 
taunting them uh, in the following days. Day after day, she followed them around and taunted them until Paul could take it no more. Now, you know Paul had a short fuse. That's what I love about Paul. You know, you got to like guys that have short fuses, but you see the hand of God on them. It's that God melted them down and sanded them down. He had a short fuse. So look at Acts 16, verse 16 to 18. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And by the way, let me stop there. Don't ever go to a fortune teller. You understand? These are demonized activities. Throw out your Ouija boards. Throw out anything that that leads to fortune telling. It's not from God. It's from uh, Satan. And that's been clearly evident from the time of Moses right through the Bible. All right? Get rid of it. All right? I don't want you to think I'm an old-fashioned geek. I'm giving you the word of God. All right? I'm giving you the word of God. She predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Now, you read the words and you say, Well, that can't be too bad. But you didn't see the way she was saving it. And also, this was a demonized person. How could a demonized person give legitimacy and credibility to the things of God? You understand? You have to have discernment. You have to have discernment to understand this. Uh, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to, her, to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at the, that moment, the spirit left her. Just like that. The power of a Holy Spirit with this man is incredible. As he, as he really uh, excommunicated that, that and exercised that demon from this girl uh, in such a powerful way. And so he endured repeatedly the taunts and annoying comments of this girl until he couldn't take it any, ever, anymore. Now, not everyone was thrilled by the result. Is that a surprise? Not everyone is thrilled when God's work is advanced. You could say this categorically. Not everyone is thrilled uh, that a demon had been exercised from her. Uh, Angered by their sudden economic downfall, the slave girl's greedy masters roused the crowd to riot. You could just see this. They roused the crowd to riot. Uh, And that's what happens. That's how evil perpetuates itself. It goes into the heart of the crowd, gets the crowd to rise up uh, against them, to riot. And so Paul... And Silas were seized and were beaten viciously and then were thrown into a Roman dungeon uh, with their feet fastened in stocks. Now, I want you to think, if you're Paul and Silas, are you thinking, wow, this is great. This is how we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. A good beating and a good prison experience. Now, I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I would begin to question, God, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? And I'm sure at some point they probably had that thought, but you see the Holy Spirit minister to them. Uh, And because they had to wonder if this is truly the plan of God. Was it God's plan that we should be beaten and put into jail? And let me say something to you right now who are serving God and going through persecution and suffering. Some of you are saying, is it God's plan for me? Is it God's plan for me that I go through what I'm going through? I want to say to you, yes, it is. Uh, 
If you are a child of God, if you've committed yourself to God, whatever you are experiencing, God is in control. Make no mistake about it. We're very different from the world who have not given their heart to God because when they get up in the morning, they are effectively stepping into a pinball machine. And nothing that happens to them is within the hand of God. But for you, it's different. And take solace in that. Take solace for that. And so really, was it God's plan that we should be beaten and be put into jail? And the answer clearly is yes. Yes. And why do I say this? And this is a question that many of us ask. God wanted them to be there. It was a divine appointment. No different than me talking to those people on the elevator in Chicago. When the man walked out of the room, he said to me in Chicago, this was a divine appointment. How about that? This was a divine appointment. He said it, I didn't. And I would say that Paul and Silas would look at each other and say the same thing. This was an, uh, a divine appointment that would be made abundantly clear shortly. And so the sermon point I had for you is this. Turmoil and persecution and suffering are not indicators that you are outside of the will of God. Do you got that? It's not indicators that you are outside of the will of God. Frankly, on the contrary, when you are suffering as a child of God, these are the times that mean you are effectively at ground zero where he wants you to be, where he wants you to speak about him. And so on the surface, things appeared bleak. I'm bleeding. I have wounds. My feet are in stocks. I'm in this dank, dark Roman dungeon. Uh, and my wounds have not been treated. They have not been washed. Uh, my feet are shackled to a wooden bar. How can this be good? We're sore and we're in shock. We're hurting. Uh, and so uh, all those warm memories of Lydia down at the, the river and her family coming to faith, all of those are starting to fade, you see, in the pain of this prison. But look what they do. Look how these, these men respond in Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Stop. What? What? You're in prison. You've been beat. You're bleeding. Your wounds are, are bleeding. Your feet are in stock. There's nobody visiting you, and you're singing hymns, and you're praising God. What kind of people are you? We're Christians. We're Christians. This is how we act. It doesn't matter where we are or how we're treated. We walk with Jesus Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now think about the crowd, the other prisoners watching us. Now we don't learn about the effect on their lives. We will learn about the effect on the jailers' lives. But I submit to you that there had to be prisoners who became Christians as well. I submit to you, that's the untold part of the story. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now think about that. This earthquake takes place. All the chains are loosened uh, and nobody leaves. Nobody leaves. They stay there. 
under the power of God. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, which was the appropriate punishment. That's what happened in Rome when you let prisoners escape. And so you see that as the men started worshiping, the other prisoners looked at them. They were astonished. Uh, and so as they're praying and worshiping and singing hymns, and by the way, that's why music is so important. You realize why this music is so key to worship? It's because music reaches God. It touches your heart. It opens your heart. It allows you to express the thoughts of your heart in a way that you never could do it. It's through music. And so they're singing the hymns and praising God. And so here he is. The, the jailer comes in and is ready to kill himself. Uh, uh, and he recognizes here, all of a sudden, these guys didn't leave. They stood there, even though they've been released from captivity, they stood there, and his heart is touched in this most dramatic scene. And what you see here is this is how God uses your life. Your life is meant to be a ministry. Your life is meant to speak to people. And so even though you never say a word, in some instances, your life still says it. They hadn't said to him anything about salvation. Not a word. Well, look what happens in Acts 16, verse 30. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What? They didn't give him any tracts. They didn't give him any sermon. You don't see any sermon here. All they did was to be part of this incredible, miraculous act, and it so touched them, it so touched the jailer, he comes out and says, what must I do to be saved? You see how God reaches out to people that have a heart? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Mark it down. When you come to people that want to know what it takes to be saved, there it is, folks. No fancy language, no theology 101, no seminary course. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. All right? And you see that not only was he saved, his whole household became saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were be baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He is filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And I'm, I want to say to you that in the coming months, we're going to look for an opportunity to have a baptism in the Gulf. Uh, and so we can't do it now. Yes, you can clap for that. It's something that I've been wanting to do. We will do that. Certainly when we get to the new church, we'll wait for the gulf to be cleared because right now I wouldn't set foot in the gulf. All right? But God will clear it up, uh, and we will look for an opportunity to do that. So if you have not been baptized uh, in, in the way that Jesus has baptized, you can come and speak to me, and we'll make those arrangements, put your name on the list. And so they were all baptized. In the middle of the night. How about that? Okay. I mean, you, can you imagine this scene? This the guy who was a jailer. He was a Roman jailer. And God did all that. So you see the faith of Paul and Silas. I want you to see this. This is how God multiplies your faith. As you act out in obedience uh, and you act with God, God lifts you up, affirms you, and uses you in the most powerful way. And so the sermon point here is that Paul left no opportunity to chance. Further, his obedience was not conditioned on comfort. 
was not conditioned on being in the synagogue. It was very simple. He had a simple goal. Preach Jesus Christ. It didn't matter where he was or how he was being treated. He had that in mind with Lydia, and now he had it in mind here even for the jailer. Uh, and so you see here how God takes your faith, levers up your faith, and reaches out. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in your heart. You may be on an elevator someday with someone, and you may need to say to that person, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Do you have a church? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Do you understand? You, you reach out in sensitivity. You never have, never recognize it until somebody says, I want to go to your hotel room. I want to talk to you because this is an incredible story. My heart is being touched. Yes, this is a divine appointment. We are all working on divine appointments. Never forget that. And so now in verses 37 to 40, Paul demands that the magistrates escort him and Silas out of prison. Now, I love this about Paul. A couple hours before, he was getting beaten. His feet were in stocks. He, his wounds were bleeding. And now what? All right? Now, because the Holy Spirit has empowered him, now he says, I, he says to the ruling authorities, I want to be escorted out. Don't just think you're going to wipe us up. You're going to lift us up and walk us out with honor. Acts 16, verse 37, but Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, no. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Oh, Paul, I love you, brother. I can't wait. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to meet you, Ken. I told you, this is a short guy, five feet tall. Five feet tall. Can you imagine a guy that short speaking under this kind of power? It's the Holy Spirit. You understand? You see the Holy Spirit? The officers reported this to the magistrates, and we heard that Paul and Cyrus were Roman citizens. They were alarmed. Yes, you should be alarmed. You took two Roman citizens without a trial and beat them and put them in prison. They could have been put to death for what they did. Uh, and so they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Can you imagine that? Now there's a parade, effectively, an escort parade, taking Paul and Silas out of the city, accompanied by the ruling authorities. You see, that's how God works, okay? That's how God works. And, and don't ever forget it, that's God. Uh, and so after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Now, I want you to understand why Paul did what he did. Uh, it was not an act of being vindictive. No, he was trying to protect Lydia and that growing church. He wanted them to be insulated, to be protected from the Roman authorities. And now that the Roman authorities knew that Paul and Silas were affiliated with this, then her church could grow in peace uh, and it would be secure uh, in the face of, of these officials. And so the sermon point I have for you is some of the greatest people that have ever lived, have ever lived, have been mistreated, misunderstood, and maligned, uh, and it is a part of what God uses to prepare his servants. And one of my favorite characters in history is Abraham Lincoln. 
Abraham Lincoln, who I must have read 30 or 40 books on Lincoln. And the life of Abraham Lincoln comes to mind uh, when we consider this issue. Lincoln, you see, was slandered. He was libeled. Uh, he was hated more than any man who ever ran for public office. He lost every political race he ever ran in except the last one, which was for president. Uh, and that was basically the only time that he won a successful race. Uh, in his book, uh, on Lincoln on Leadership, author Donald Phillips writes, he was publicly called just about every name imaginable by the press of the day, including a grotesque baboon, a third-rate country lawyer, a lawyer who once split rails and now splits the union, a coarse, vulgar joke, a dictator, an ape, a buffoon, and other things that were even worse. The Illinois State Register labeled him the craftiest and most dishonest politician that ever disgraced an office in America. Those who lived in his day despised him openly, and yet God lifted him up, and God protected him, and he would come to be, in my opinion, the single greatest president this country would ever have. He would break the bonds of slavery. He would keep the country united. He would preserve the union despite the vulgar language that people treated him with. And so that's the example for you. I believe God lifted him up and God called him for that very position and protected him in every way. And I want to say that he'll do the same for you as you go out from here and serve the God that God has called you and lifted you up. And so Paul stands for us today as a man of God and a model for all of us to follow. His message gives hope to every single member of our church and every single Christian. Why? It's grace. It's grace. In every step of his life, grace abounded on him. God lifted him and protected him and had mercy for him. And as he did this, as he walked, this amazing grace surrounding him, his ministry grew and grew until he would finally write about two-thirds of the New Testament and would be the greatest single missionary ever to live in this world. God would take him and use him. Why? Because he had faith because he was committed, because he had a single purpose in his life, to preach Jesus, to preach Jesus. There was nothing more important, nothing, not friends, no associations, no family, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I would say to you today, when you leave this church, that should be on your mind, Jesus, Jesus, what can I do to advance your work? Who can I speak to? How can I spread the gospel, Lord? And help me, Lord, to always have in my heart the reason for the hope that I have so that I can articulate it to a world that is lost. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads as we close the message. Father, I thank you for the words that you've given us. 
I thank you for this message. I thank you for the example of Paul. I thank you when I look out and I see Lydia, that first woman who served you and now becomes an example for all of our women, Lord, as they now get equality in the eyes of God, separating them from Judaism. Lord, we're so blessed for all you've done for us. Bless our people. Let this message resonate in their heart. Let them leave here empowered to serve you in an even greater way. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Jesus.